For Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard's Star Talk Report highlights the autumnal equinox. Sweetwater fishing guide Evan Padua shares his precious family vacation time in Wyoming, sending us an audio postcard. Jordan from Lordville Farms greets us at his mushroom stand at the Saturday Farm Market in Narrowsburg, New York. Tustin Heritage Community garden members blend up a late summer gathering to sample pesto and gazpacho. All of that coming up on today's Farming Country. But first, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Giles Snyder. Tens of thousands are without power in North Carolina this morning thanks to Tropical Storm Ophelia. Ophelia came ashore early today and could dump as much as seven inches of rain in eastern North Carolina and southeastern Virginia. Richard Bond is a meteorologist with the National Weather Service, and he says there's a risk of flash flooding. If you get that much rain in an urban environment with a lot of concrete and asphalt, the rain can't soak in. It's going to run off. And given right now that the storm is moving kind of slow, that's the kind of setup that worries us the most. When you have a slow-moving tropical system like this, it could bring a lot of rain in a fairly short amount of time, and it finds an urban area. States of emergency in effect in North Carolina, Virginia, and Maryland. The House has left town for the weekend with no sign of an agreement to keep the government open past September 30th. NPR's Windsor Johnson reports that congressional Democrats are slamming hardline Republicans for holding up a spending deal. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is wasting time catering to the far right. House Republicans are still trying to appease the most hard-right elements of their conference. It's almost as if a small handful are deciding what the whole body of 435 members should do. The latest proposal put forth by the conservative House Freedom Caucus includes steeper budget cuts and additional border security measures, but no additional aid for Ukraine. Democrats in both chambers have repeatedly warned that any short-term spending bill without that supplemental funding is a non-starter. Windsor Johnston, NPR News, Washington. New Jersey Democratic Senator Robert Menendez is facing calls to resign after he and his wife were indicted on federal corruption charges. Menendez has temporarily stepped aside as chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee but denies wrongdoing. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommending a new vaccine to protect babies from RSV. The seasonal shot will be given to expectant mothers in their third trimester, as NPR's Ping Huang reports. RSV is the leading cause of hospitalization in infants. This fall, CDC advisors recommend not one, but two new options for protecting newborns. One is a vaccine for expecting mothers, and the other is an antibody shot for infants once they're born. Dr. Pablo Sanchez is a neonatologist who works with high-risk babies. I mean, if we only had the RSV vaccine to offer, it would be simple. The complexity is that we have options. For most babies, the CDC recommends one or the other. Both are considered safe and similarly effective at preventing serious illness. The CDC recommends those who are pregnant consult with their doctors to make the choice. Ping Huang, NPR News. And you're listening to NPR News. 
Welcome back to Farm and Country. This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Coming up on today's show, Sweetwater Fishing Guide Evan Padua shares his precious family vacation time in Wyoming and sends us an audio postcard while floating down Flat Creek. Jordan from Lordville Farms greets us at his mushroom stand at the Saturday Farm Market in Narrowsburg, New York, behind the Union on Erie Street. Dustin Heritage Community Garden members blend up a late summer gathering to sample pesto and gazpacho and hear about invasive common mugwort remediation. But first, here is Keith Hubbard's Star Talk report that highlights the autumnal equinox. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. country. I'm Keith Hubbard and this is Star Talk. At 2.50 a.m. this morning, the sun crossed the celestial equator from north to south. This event is known as the autumnal equinox. There are a few interesting things that occur during an equinox. The sun will rise due east, will set due west, and will be directly overhead at the equator at noon. The autumnal equinox is a perfect day to determine due east or due west from your yard. The point where the sun meets the horizon at sunrise or sunset will be due east or due west. Also, the length of day and night are nearly equal on the equinox. We will see 12 hours and 7 minutes of daylight today. Each year there are two equinoxes. One occurs in late March and the other occurs 6 months later in late September. The equinox marks the midpoint between the sun's lowest path across the sky and the sun's highest path across the sky. The Earth's axis is always tilted at an angle of about 23.5 degrees in relation to Earth's orbit. However, the tilt's orientation changes throughout the year. The equinoxes occur when the Earth's axis is perpendicular to the sun's rays. With the sun on a southern trajectory in the sky, the sunrise will be coming later in the day and the day itself will be getting shorter. The sun will continue to move south in the sky until late December at which time it will reverse direction and head north. Today marks the end of summer and the beginning of autumn. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. Recently, the Upper Delaware Council recognized me for the volunteer work with audio production that highlights goodness from our community. Sweetwater Fishing Guide Evan Padua is part of that volunteer work. Evan produces the Hooked on Fishing report for Radio Catskills Farm and Country that describes the Upper Delaware River. Recently, Evan was traveling with his wife, Shireen, and he took the time to send us his regards and share this very descriptive audio postcard of fishing in Wyoming. This is Evan Padua bringing you Hooked on Fishing on a Western vacation with my wife. Uh, We're in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, where we both used to live for over 10 years. 
Right now I'm out fishing on uh, the National Elk Refuge, which is a big, flat, prairie kind of field full of sagebrush and and cheatgrass and all kinds of different vegetation that grow from like 18 inches to three feet tall. And right down the middle of the refuge flows Flat Creek. And aptly named, it's very flat, very clear, winds like a snake through the prairie. And uh, it's loaded with uh, cutthroat trout, whitefish, and a few rogue brown trout in here too. I came out around 9.30 this morning been here for about two hours early before the bugs started hatching i tried some streamers and some deep pools fish aren't too receptive to streamers here but i thought i'd just try it and then just kind of switched over to some dries and been really really slowly working one of my favorite probably 100 maybe 75 yard stretch of river and i'm just kneeling in the grass watching these fish from about 15 to 50 feet watching them feed you can see them in the two to four foot deep water watching these cutthroat feed now cutthroat generally have a reputation of being kind of will eat anything but not in this location for a few reasons uh, pressure is one a lot of fishermen i can see uh, just two fishermen from where i am right now but um, some days it's busier than others and just never know one is pressure and then the other is it's just so clear and flat so they get spooked easily this is one of those cases where i brought one fly box with me with a variety of flies and generally i fish with about 10 fly boxes or more <laughs> and these fish are eating kind of like a almost like a flying ant but it just seems like a it's almost like a little black mayfly possibly a midge of some kind which i have had three refusals um, one on a fly tied so that means the fish came slowly up to the surface, nearly ate my fly, but chose not to. And that kind of tells me the pressure thing. So they're used to seeing some flies and getting caught. So that's kind of takes away from the experience, in my opinion, a little bit. But I'm just watching these flies go down the river slowly, and these fish are starting to feed on them. I'm going to give it another half hour, hour, but not sure I have the right fly in my box for this, this particular scenario. So I'm just going to try a couple other flies and, and see if I can force feed one of these cutties. This is a spot where I've caught some really nice fish in the past, and I just enjoy fishing. It's pretty peaceful. There's a road in the distance, but the traffic sound is pretty I'm muffled out by the mountains. I actually hear some migrating sandhill cranes in the background. I think this is about the time they start to move south, and they have a really loud squawky gobble type of sound sandhill cranes are pretty pretty large birds they're in the out in the field behind me i've got the grovant mountains to the east and the tetons to the west so it's a beautiful spot and i uh, just wanted to give you guys an update on the fishing out here i'm going to float snake river i'm going to get a few days on the snake river here and uh, hopefully put some fish in the net so all right. Thanks for listening. This has been Evan Padua bringing you Hooked on Fishing. Thanks.
for WJFF Radio Catskill. This is Rosie Starr at the Farmer's Market behind the Union. This is the Narrowsburg Farmer's Market on a Saturday. In front of me is a gentleman. His sign says Lordville Farm Mushrooms. I have come by his stand and enjoyed the Italian oyster mushrooms. And I just thought, well, at this time of the year, farming country listeners would appreciate hearing from him. So he'll introduce himself and tell us about where he's from and what he does. Yes, uh, my name is Jordan and uh, I'm the owner of Lordville Farms out of Lordville, New York. And uh, originally from Richmond, Virginia, studied uh, chemistry, biology in North Carolina and grew up in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, our family has lived in uh, Lordville, New York for over 200 years. So uh, it was a farm back then trying to make it a farm again and slowly, slowly getting there, but uh, have enjoyed the process, have enjoyed the people, uh, have enjoyed Narrowsburg Market, Calicoon, just the whole area is, uh, is wonderful, and they really help farmers and, and everyone in agriculture around here. Well, you've just said a couple of impressive things there. Your family goes back all those years. That's your part of the landscape, the history, and the soil, it sounds like. And as a chemist, you understand the biology of these mushrooms. It's a good time of the year for mushrooms, isn't it? It absolutely is. We are just coming on the end of golden chanterelle season, and uh, which you can really only forage out in the woods. So get out there, go hiking, and look for them. And if you're not sure if you found it, reach out to a mycologist, reach out to myself, um, we can help you out. Chicken of the Woods is huge right now, and you cannot not notice those big orange basketballs hanging from the trees. So um, feel free to go pick those. you got another couple weeks left of those seasons until spring, and then we'll be looking for morels. Check under your apple trees. So this is the last, last call for uh, forageable mushrooms here. Let's go back a little bit in time. Your family farm, tell us about that. Yes, so uh, Lordville, New York is named after Alva Lord, and he came and um, helped establish the area in the late 1700s. And uh, our family actually helped to come and was the farm that supplied his uh, family with uh, food. So we're pretty much their sustenance for the town. Um, We had a couple horses. Um, Then when they started working on the quarry and all the people down on uh, Jensen Ledges and uh, logging companies, uh, we provided them all the food and Kind of once the quarry went bust and the last logging happened 150 years ago, um, the farm pretty much shut down. Our family's just been living there and enjoying the river since. What did they grow on the farm? Um, we did have chickens. We had pigs. We had cows. We had, um, I believe, corn. And uh, I think that is it. Um, the rest of the neighborhood, kind of everyone played their part. We had a little hotel at the end of the road. It was, it was a, a small, tight-knit community. Well, it sounds like the food that your family offered to the workers really sustained them. (laughs) I enjoy going to Lordville. There's a lot of creative things going on there. Um, But I'd like to know about these mushrooms that you have over here. Um, How do you produce these? Yes, so this spring um, we just built a year-round grow facility, uh, which basically consists of uh, a shed for uh, inoculation, where we have soil bags that are mixed with the spawn for the mushroom. And they sit there for about six weeks while the mycelium, which is pretty much the roots, while those grow in the bags. And it's a really dry, dark room. And it's uh, temperature controlled, humidity controlled. Once the bags go from soil brown to full white, I move them into the fruiting shed, 
which is 100% humidity and bright 16 hours a day. And uh, yeah, they fruit in there. It only takes them a couple of days after that. And so once that starts, we have a steady uh, supply of all the mushroom varieties we have. Do you feed these mushrooms? Do you offer them any nutrients to grow? No, actually all the nutrients are in the soil bags themselves. So the mycelium, the roots, once those bulbs are all white and ready to go, the only thing they need is oxygen and water. And so I have a, a humidifier that fills the wet shed full of moist air. You open it up and it's like a sauna in there. I believe the Narrowsburg Farmer's Market is in operation until the end of October. Will you be here offering your product? And if so, what, what can people look for? Absolutely. We'll be open here till October 28th and I will be here every Saturday. Um, when you come to the market, I mean, hit every stand. It's, it's the variety that makes Narrowsburg Market wonderful. You know, it's not just mushrooms, it's, it's all of the different produce and agriculture. It's all so different. You'll find something at each stand that you didn't know you need. Now, the mushrooms that we have, um, I have eight varieties, uh, three different types of oyster mushrooms, two different varieties of lion's mane, some chestnuts, and different kinds that I forage. So um, you stop by every week, there's going to be something different that you haven't seen. Okay, in the meantime, if folks want to get a hold of you online, do you have a website? I do not have a website, but I do have an Instagram, and that is uh, Lordville underscore farms. And uh, feel free to follow me, send me a message. I get back to you pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, reach out. If you have any pictures of mushrooms you think might be edible or you just have questions about, I enjoy seeing them. Send them my way. Thank you for being here, and thank you for your wonderful product. Thank you, Rosie. I appreciate it. Thank you, Janet Bergen. Janet is a local musician and community member who performs at the Narrowsburg Farmer's Market. She took a five-minute break so that I could get a good, clean audio recording of Jordan at his Lordville Farms mushroom stand. In late summer, the Tustin Heritage Community Garden hosted a pop-up event to celebrate the abundance of basil and tomatoes ready for harvest. Someone came up with the idea to have a contest for the best pesto and the best gazpacho recipe. So in late August, available garden members gathered inside the Tustin Heritage Community Garden, located on DeMauro Lane, behind the Western Sullivan Public Library. As members were tabling their culinary samples, Alan Carroll from Sullivan 180 took the time to share some thoughts on an undesirable member of the garden area. Sullivan 180 is part of the Narrowsburg Beautification Group that maintains the pathways along the exterior of the garden. Hello, I'm Alan Carroll. I am part of the Narrowsburg Beautification Group, and I also work at Sullivan 180 as the beautification coordinator. I run the horticulture crew, and we were lucky enough to work with the people from the Tustin Heritage Garden and help do a little bit of invasive plant remediation, where we started to mow down this very invasive mugwort plant. So it's something that is in almost every garden that we visit all around the county. It's a invasive plant from Mediterranean area and Asia and Europe it grows. So it's been brought here. It has medicinal qualities, but nobody needs this much mugwort. 
It's a big hill here next to the garden full of mugwort. So we started to mow it down. Okay, so now I'm curious about the medicinal Mediterranean plant. Would Tell us about that part. Mugwort has a medicinal quality where I think it helps people dream. It's supposed to create very vivid dreams. If you put, I've heard you can make a tea with it or you can put it under your pillow and, and it'll help you have very vivid dreams. I'm sure there's other qualities to it as well that I am unaware of. If you want vivid dreams. Yeah, some people don't, you know. <laughs> Describe this plant. It grows maybe four feet tall. Uh, it's very fragrant and it's very, very aggressive. It spreads through both seeds and through its roots that have like runners that take over very quickly. When you're digging it up, it feels like you're digging up spaghetti. And it's like a dense layer of spaghetti underneath. But they actually are saying not to dig up the roots because sometimes breaking the root will cause it to grow more rapidly. So what I've learned is that you just mow it down repetitively and it's the best way to try to kill this mugwort plant. It sounds like a rhizome. I don't know if it's a rhizome. I, I've no, I don't know what the word is to describe, but similar. Similar, yeah. Where did you get all your knowledge? I studied horticulture at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, and then I also studied permaculture design at Common Circle Education in San Francisco. And then I've just been working at farms and community gardens and with Sullivan 180, all the different community beautification groups around the county. And I also run a grant program there that helps build vegetable gardens at all the schools in the county. Well, that's wonderful knowledge and community service. So you'll be behind this microphone again. <laughs> thank you for taking the time at this moment to speak with us. Yeah, thank you so much. Come on, let's go find out about this pesto contest. Oh, the pesto is amazing. Well, it was not a close call on the gazpacho. We have a very clear winner. We have number one as the winner. All right, we're Woo! announcing the gazpacho contest winner. Very clear winner. Gazpacho number one. Well, gazpacho number one. Maker, please come up and, and get your award. You Say something about your wonderful gazpacho. I was fortunate to go to the Calicoon Farmer's Market last Sunday, and I bought all the tomatoes are from the Calicoon Farmer's Market. They were fantastic. And I used a recipe that my son actually served at one of the contest entries party, and he wasn't wrong. So I'm glad to win. <laughs> Finally, I won. <laughs> okay, now you must reveal the type of tomato. Oh my goodness. So um, they looked an awful lot like a beefsteak. I mean, they were huge tomatoes, and so I got everything there, the peppers, and uh, cucumbers are in there. But I grew the garlic from this garden. And the, the garlic, garlic is fresh. Last fall we planted, it was a donation from Willow's Farm. And uh, the garlic came in the spring and we just harvested. Yeah, it was, I used it in mine too. Yeah. Well, with those ingredients, you're number one. And Michael, it was a collaboration, there. a landslide. Now, very close, pesto contest. Pesto number two got seven, and 
Pestin number one got six. Mm. Oh. Uh, what? So, Pesto number two, maker, stealing the Literally, all that basil was grown right here in this garden. All the pesto came out of my beds. And what? And the garlic. Yeah. The garlic. So there's not much else in it, right? Okay, some Parmesan cheese. That did, the I don't. The secret ingredient is the roasted pistachios. Oh. My son, who is a chef, said, "Mom, if you want to win." You got to use roasted pistachios. So I took his advice. I had never done that before, but that's what he told me to do. So. And just so everyone knows, tell us your name. I don't think you were ever introduced. Mary Jones Millett. Thank you. Yeah, we had some other people who made contributions to the contest. We had some pesto from Joe and Jane Levine family. We also had, uh, I made a pesto, and then we had, I made a gazpacho, and then we had a, another gazpacho, very traditional Spanish gazpacho from Christine Martin from, from Berryville. And they, everybody loved everything. It was, this is the best spread we've ever had at the Tustin Heritage Community Garden. What a harvest of friendship and food here. And the blueberry pie is gone. It's gone. What happened to the blueberry pie? A proper to go donated uh, the bread here and for our event and we want to thank them and the most important thing of all is that we live in this resplendent community beautiful in nature and very copious with our farmers we're all grateful to all the farmers that produced and the Tustin Heritage Community Garden Save the State Saturday October 7th the Narrowsburg Beautification Group will host their biannual plant swap from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. The location is the Tustin parking lot, 198 Bridge Street, Narrowsburg, New York. Exchange plants, seeds, and bulbs from your garden with your neighbors. If you have nothing to exchange, come visit, make a donation. Facebook has more information on Narrowsburg Beautification Group plant swap. We hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers Keith Hubbard and Evan Padua. Special thanks goes to our guests, Jordan from Lordville Farms and the Tustin Heritage Community Garden members with guest Alan Carroll from Sullivan 180. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to Farm and Country and supporting Radio Catskill public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Listen on air at 90.5 FM, on your phone or smart speaker, and online at wjffradio.org. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability 
a community-supported, science-based nonprofit, taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org